Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today, as we do every Monday, 1230 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. So you don't want to miss us on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site, um, my personal Facebook page, and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page. And we are now streaming live on LinkedIn and Twitter. Twitter. Uh, so don't don't forget to like and subscribe to those channels so you can catch us on those platforms. So we are excited to welcome another um, guest who's been with us two or three times at least now, um, Dr. Michael Turner. And he is an expert in wellness medicine, functional medicine, um, uh, just a, a super sharp guy, and he walks the walk and talks the talk. He's in great health himself, and I was just having lunch with him last week, and he was talking to me about his open water swimming, which is like super cool. So um, without further ado, Dr. Turner, welcome to our show. Thanks. Good to see you, Sean. Good to see you, Janet. Glad to be here again. Yeah, I'm excited for you to be on. Today, we're going to be dis- discussing a topic that um, y- you have I spoke on many times before, five lab tests that we should ask our doctor about. So let's get started. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my point here was to provide that encouragement and education to go beyond to the next level a bit other than some routine tests that just might typically be done with the primary care, right? And some of this is incumbent upon you as the patient to offer this up as a suggestion. Um, You'll find that many doctors are receptive. Right. If, if they understand that you want to go in a vein of a little more in-depth and a little more prevention and wellness and being proactive, for example, I think you'll find them quite receptive versus if you just passively sit and wait for them to mention some of these tests, it might likely not happen. They're kind of in a rut in their minds thinking about, you know, most typical things and what needs to happen to move on to the next patient, et cetera. So this is to prime your mind with some information and uh, enable you to, to look into some things more deeply. So the first one we'll jump into, this is definitely top. If you just took one test away, this is it. So we'll start with that number one, which is your vitamin D. All right. You should know your vitamin yep. D status. Supremely important. And thankfully it's getting more out there within the public domain and awareness, right. And even amongst at the primary care level, but supremely important. I first clued in on this when I was in residency, actually at the Mayo clinic, and we had a chronic pain rehabilitation program. So this is outpatient patients come, chronic complex pain problems, the pain problem can't get solved. So it's all about how to cope with it and deal with it, like mind body techniques, you know, gentle physical therapy, um, things like that, weaning them off their narcotic medications, that type of thing. Well, turns out that there's a strong correlation between very low vitamin D levels and chronic pain. Okay, if I took your vitamin D level and just dropped it far enough, you would develop widespread pain, it would look and act like fibromyalgia. Since we were in Minnesota, this was potentially quite possibly a a problem, right? And so I was noticing on the intake labs for these patients at the Mayo chronic pain program, no one was checking a vitamin D status. We had standard, you know, uh, uh, certain battery of labs that we would order and vitamin D wasn't on there. And I told the director, I was like, I think we should look into this a little bit. In fact, one of the groundbreaking studies on vitamin D uh, and chronic pain was done by another gentleman up at the University of Minneapolis uh, or University of Minnesota rather in Minneapolis. And so I said, we need to look into this. Short answer, by the time I got done, it had become standard practice to do that as an intake. And we found out that a good proportion of those uh, patients were low in their vitamin D. And in fact, the patients who tended to be on the most narcotics, aka presumably having the worst pain, were also the same group that had the lowest vitamin D levels. So 
we know that it's uh, extraordinarily important. So furthermore, interesting thing about vitamin D is it's actually misnamed. Okay. It's misnamed. It's a hormone. Is a hormone in your body. It's no different than thyroid hormone, you know, adrenaline, uh, cortisol. It is a hormone. When it first got discovered, we were thinking it was a vitamin, but you know, basically medical science and knowledge progressed past that, and it's it's a hormone. But what's unique about it is it's a hormone that requires sunlight to be activated biologically. So your body produces the pro-hormone or the precursor hormone and requires sunlight to activate it. So it's kind of interesting. So in that sense, human beings are kind of like, you know, that chameleon or that that gecko, you know, you keep it in the little terrarium, but you got to get its little UVB light too, right? <laughs> or else it's not going to be healthy. We're the same way. We're actually supposed to have some sunlight hit our skin on a daily basis, or we're not going to be healthy uh, as far as vitamin E goes. So and the, ch the challenge, I'll stop in a second, we can talk about it, but I'll just end by this saying this, um, very important, but the challenge is, it's typically uh, hard to keep the vitamin D levels up, right? So number one, people are indoors most of the time. Number two, if they are outdoors, they're covered up or they're wearing sunscreen, which defeats the purpose because it's the same UV rays that created tan also create vitamin D. So to put sunscreen on is the same thing as blocking vitamin D synthesis. And of course, people are concerned about possible skin cancer, sun damage, et cetera. So the flip side of that, though, is the vitamin D synthesis drops off. And especially if you live at a northern latitude, it also drops off. And that just has to do with the angle of the sun. So at the equator, the angle of the sun is coming straight down. There's really a small column of atmosphere, right, through which the sun has to hit until it hits land. Northern latitude is low in the sky. So if you just think about like the volume of atmosphere, you know, in like a rectangle to reach out to the rays of the sun by the time it comes down at an oblique angle and hits you on land is is uh, there's a whole bunch more atmosphere basically between you and the sun which is why it's not as hot and the sun's not as you know heavy during the day well it also means less uv rays are getting through and there's less opportunity to even synthesize vitamin d so even if you went out in northern latitudes like washington state you know, during the middle of the day in a tank top or whatever, we're trying to get some vitamin D. It's it's a lot harder probably by order a couple orders of magnitude than, you know, if you were in Mexico at the same time. So that that's a brief overview. I don't know if you want to comment on that. We could talk also about specific things vitamin D does in the body. But that's kind of the problem there in a nutshell. Janet, what questions do you have, Dr. Turner? Well, the, I just wanted to add, too, one of the things, too, that people don't realize as well is, if you come in the house and you shower, you stop that process. So, you mm. know, we, we feel like it's going to be ongoing, but it's not. So we have a short window on that. But yes, let's jump into what the benefits are of vitamin D, because I think we all just think about bones, but there's other things that it does for us. Way beyond. So one of the interesting was things was, uh, in my background as rehabilitation specialist, what it can do in the elderly and what it does as far as muscle fiber density and power output. So fast twitch muscle fibers are highly influenced by your vitamin D level. And so they've done these studies where they look at elderly people and they can see that the lowest levels of vitamin D are the people who are most unsteady, take the most time to get out of their chair, take the most time to walk across the room, have the greatest fall risk. Then they follow that up by actually repleting their vitamin D levels and watching all those numbers get better. So it's pretty striking. So you could take grandma and perk up her vitamin D level. And she actually got out of her chair faster, walked across the room faster, and had less overall fall risk. Okay, And that has to do with uh, fast twitch muscle fiber density and vitamin D status. That was pretty you know, striking to my mind. Um, also, hugely involved in the immune system. So let's just say any illness. Let's just say COVID, for example. Okay, We all know about vitamin C. We know about vitamin uh, or zinc, for example. 
Vitamin D also, you have an increased need of vitamin D when you are acutely ill with any illness vis-a-vis -vis the immune system function. So it becomes very important. And also related to the immune system is autoimmune disease, right? So we know that autoimmune disease risk of development is much less with vitamin D status uh, being adequate. And we also know that if you do have an autoimmune disease, like multiple sclerosis would be an example, if we keep your vitamin D levels high, uh, the severity of that disease goes down. It's actually considered a treatment you know, for multiple sclerosis. Also cancer, vitamin D has strong anti-cancer properties. If you wanna just do a little internet search about vitamin D and cancer, you'll see that it inhibits cancer in a number of different ways. And so integrative cancer docs will want their vitamin D levels of their patients very much higher than even your typical primary care might. And what about dosing? Yeah, so it's a great question. So partly it depends on first getting your level because it, uh, the metaphor I would use, it's kind of like how full is your gas, gas tank, right? If you're truly on empty, you need to fill your tank first and then top it off. So the filling doses of vitamin D, if you're very low, are typically like 50,000 units once a week, as you may know, oftentimes eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, something like that. If you have a sufficient level, then maintenance dose is usually four to 6,000 IU international units a day. If you don't know what's going on, you don't have a level and you're just guessing something, you're not going to go wrong being at four to 6,000. It might just nice. take you quite a long time to ramp up the optimal, let's just say, you know. Cool. Um, if you're yeah. Acute, yeah, if okay. you're acutely ill, by the way, if you're acutely ill and you don't have a chance to get a level tested or anything, 10,000 is fine. That's safe. Okay. If you're sick, tomorrow with COVID or whatever, you can take 10,000 over the counter every day. You'd be all right. Yeah. There's been a lot of safety studies that have shown that even up to, I wouldn't recommend this, but even up to 40,000 units of vitamin D um, every day is, mm -hmm. is probably safe without side effects. And I think one thing I, the analogy I always give is that if we were to sunbathe naked for 20 minutes, we produce 20,000 units of vitamin D. So to think that you can overdose on 10,000 units a day is probably pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, so. po good point yeah so let's go to the next one that was great dr turner what's so what's number love it two? well the next one for us to discuss is mthfr you guys much familiar with mthfr yeah, yeah. great probably your listenership is as well um kind of a mouthful it stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase this is involved in methylating folic acid which is one of your core b vitamins this kind of comes into play clinically when that patient's having, you know, long-term fatigue, um, poor immune function, um, long-term depression, oftentimes, maybe nerve pain or nerve dysfunction that hasn't uh, gotten better. And we want to test for the MTHFR status. B vitamins do all the things that I just mentioned, as well as some other things like DNA repair. And MTHFR, if you have this genetic variation, you don't activate your folic acid very well. Folic acid works in synchrony with the other B vitamins to do all those functions. And so the whole system kind of is down regulated uh, from, it's kind of like your chain's only as strong as the weakest link essentially. So the MTHFR mutation, unfortunately is fairly common, uh, but can be tested for and can be treated by giving someone the active form of folic acid and therefore allowing all the B vitamins to act synchronously in, in the ways that they need to. But I welcome your comments and input on it from your side. What do you guys see or yeah. Um So originally, I, I think, you know, when it started becoming more known, MTHFR deficiency, it was like, a, they said, oh, well, 10% of the patients, you know, probably um, lack the enzyme. But now mm. what I'm seeing is upwards of 50% of people are MTHFR deficient. Well, mm. I, I, I'm just going to comment on 
part of it, I think, could be just our health status as a country. Because if we have fatty liver disease, our liver is not methylating. So it's not going to do the job it should if it's not able to work as it should. So I think that's part of it. And then the other part, I think, also is I don't necessarily think that we are nutrient I mean, we have calories in our in our American diet, but the nutrients aren't there that we need. And, you know, it, it seems like the B vitamins get overlooked a lot, but they are they are so important for neurological, muscle, I mean, so many different processes in our body. So it is a very important one that, you know, if you're considering, um, hey, I, I should have this look, I, I'm, I'm right up there with Dr. Turner on this one. This is a big one. Well, and when it comes to B vitamins, um, I think there's just probably no reason to not take a B vitamin that has L-methylfolate in it, which is the active form of folic acid and and methylcobalamin. Both of them can act as methyl donors, and that's what you lack when you have MTHFR deficiency right. is the ability to methylate, which is the way we detoxify our bodies in our liver, like Janet was talking about. So why not take that kind of B vitamin? It's a little bit more expensive than... Um, you know, the non-methylated forms of, of folic acid and um, B12, but it's well worth it because even if you, because ha- even if you haven't had the MTHFR deficiency test done, um, it, this will at least be helpful. Absolutely. I agree, Sean. Great points. You know, what's nice about the MTHFR test is you only have to do it once in your life, okay? Because it's right. a genetic uh, that's mutation, right? right? right. So right. it's not going to change. One time you're done, it'll tell you, do you have the mutation or not? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and, a good good and, point. And let me speak loudly to women. If you yeah. think you're going to have a pregnancy and want to have a child, this is super important because we know that folate and, and the methyl methylation of these vitamins are super important to a healthy baby. So, and it's before we're pregnant, not after. I mean, I'm not dogging it after, but, you know, super um, important to, I think, even pre-pregnancy, because if you're setting yourself up for a healthy baby, you want your your, your own health to be as optimal as possible. Folic acid has definitely been linked to many types of problems with um, babies and one of them is neural tube defects. So uh, healthy B vitamins, good B vitamins is very important. Yes, absolutely. Well, moving us on to number three, I would say uh, five tests ask your doctor about. Number three would be DHEA, DHEA. Um, This is a hormone. Some people are familiar with it, kind of at least vaguely, um, but has a big role in your body does things like it's good for the immune system. Uh, it perks up just energy production in your body, um, will boost intracellular levels of testosterone. And so does beneficial things that you would get from testosterone. Um, but also very good for the brain. This is something that as I was getting more into it over the last couple of years, I did some research. There's actually a lot of information about there that DHEA can be considered a neurotransmitter in some senses. It's pretty interesting. So if you read about its effects on the brain, it does things like um, increase the release of dopamine and it modulates the neurons so that the affinity for dopamine is raised. So consequently, then we see how it uh, is known clinically to improve things like depression, even anxiety. Um, it also promotes nerve health in areas that are critical for learning and memory. So it's kind of an overall brain booster, by the way. And then DHEA is also good for blood sugar metabolism and 
good for weight loss. In fact, a weight loss supplement that's commonly seen over the counter is called 7-Keto, K-E-T-O-D-H-E-A, if you may be aware of that, right? That's just sort of a downstream metabolite of regular DHEA, which is what I'm talking about. But 7-Keto DHEA has research about how it can help with weight loss. And then back to the concept of what it does good for the brain, it can also protect against Alzheimer's development. So those are all research-based roles of DHEA, not to mention it's available over the counter inexpensively. It is safe. You can get a bottle on Amazon from a high quality supplier for you know ten dollars, and that'll last you two months. So it's a high value, low risk concept uh, for many of my patients. I don't know if you want to comment on that again. Yeah. So what about dosing for women versus men? Is there a different dose for women versus men? Definitely, definitely. And I do like to have people's labs tested on this before uh, with your dosing. Um, we'll get into the subtleties of that, but basically. I, I take a lot of my cue from a doctor named Dr. Rozier. So I'm sure you may have heard of him perhaps from he's from I, I saw him this weekend actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Where did you see him? Uh in Albuquerque. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. So Dr. Rozier, so he he's nationally prominent, um, talks about uh anti-aging concepts. He has a clinic in Palm Springs. Yep. And anyway, um, I take a lot of my guidance from him, which is all very research-based. I mean, you go to one of his conferences, he hands you a binder that's like this thick of research right. studies and stuff. Yeah. He's, <laughs> Paper. <laughs> Paper. Here, read this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um he doesn't he doesn't recommend it for women under 35, first of all. He says, you know, leave leave that alone. And as soon as you're above that demographic, if you're um depending on your lab level, but you could start with maybe 10, 15 milligrams, something like that. And then let's say in a postmenopausal woman in her 60s or beyond, you know, documented low levels, all the way up to 25 milligrams. Okay. That's the dosing that I've come across. And correct me if you know something better. I'm, I'm glad to hear about it. For men, it's typically I typically start them at 50. And, and then I follow their blood levels. And for guys, it ends up being somewhere between 50 and 100 milligrams. For guys, the blood level that I'm shooting for is around 500. For women, the blood level is around 250, essentially. And that's notable also because the lab reference range is going gonna, gonna to be a little bit higher than that. So sometimes, let's say for a guy, he gets his DHEA and it's like 200. And the reference range is, you know, 150 to 350 or something. He's like, hey, I'm in range. I go, all right, well, <laughs> there's a difference between, you know, reference range and optimization, right? It's it's kind of like the, the way I tell them, it's like uh, reference range is you take 100 people off the street. You don't seem like there's anything wrong with them. You just check their DHEA and say, I guess that's what a normal DHEA is, right? But if I took, you know, 100 guys off the street and asked them to do some push-ups, okay, and, you know, I got the average guy does like three to eight push-ups, and you come back, you're doing six push-ups. You tell me you're great. I'm like, that's not optimal. They're like, where, <laughs> where right. do you want to be? Like, let's get great you to the 20 push-up range, you know? Right. <laughs> so that's such a valid point because Sean and I have talked about this before that ranges in labs does not necessarily look at a healthy population. Mm. So, I mean, we really need to think about, you know, what does optimal mean? Do you want to be healthy for you, for your, you know, where you sure. should be? or like you said, just somebody random, and and I, I, I that's a very valid point. Yeah, and, and we basically sat through Dr. Rosier's lectures over the last three days, and just hit that home. It's like, yeah. you know, typically with ranges of labs, it's, you know, we see sick people. Well, what if you're healthy? You know, and you want to be optimal. It's like, well, you don't want to be sick. You want to be in the optimal range. So um, that's why we have to. Labs are a tool to go along with symptoms and history. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And on DHEA, just yeah. and with most hormones, as we age, you know, levels of DHEA just decline naturally. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important to get your levels checked. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. And I'm glad you guys do that. You you compound it within many of your creams, as I understand. Yes, um, can. So yeah, it can. Uh, uh, it's it's nice. I when ordering and using you know what you guys provide for my patients, I like that. We just fold the DHE in a lot of times and solves a problem. So yeah, sure. anytime. Usually in in uh, my experience, anytime you know a woman or a man needs testosterone and they're over forty, they also are probably going to need DHEA. Yes, absolutely. And actually, I asked uh, I I asked one of the endocrinologists at Cadillac when I was still working over there um, if you give someone testosterone does that have a negative feedback on their DHEA production? His answer was yes. Now I need to look into that more for myself, but based on what he had told me, I make it a standard procedure at this point. If I start a guy on testosterone, along comes the DHEA with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a good idea. All right. What's the fourth lab? Next up. Number four is coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10. So many people have heard of this. Yeah. 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 This is a good one. And it can be checked with a simple lab. That's the beauty of this. Um, coenzyme Q10, very important for energy creation, first of all, in the mitochondria of your cells down in there in the so-called electron transport chain. But basically the biochemistry of how you utilize either a molecule of sugar or a molecule of fat to create energy from it requires a certain concentration of coenzyme Q10. And again, I would use the metaphor of the weakest link in the chain, right? If something's lacking in your mitochondria, it can only put out as much energy as that lowest level of uh, available ingredient. And CoQ10 many times would be the limiting factor in energy creation in your mitochondria. Also a very potent antioxidant. Um, we all know that antioxidants are good. We don't always understand what oxidation is or what that means. The simple example I use is rust. Okay. If you leave a piece of metal out and it rusts, that's oxidation. It's basically the oxygen molecules in the air breaking down the structure of the substance. Another example is cutting an apple and leaving it in the kitchen and it turns brown. That's oxidation. That's oxygen in the air breaking down the substance and the substrate of the apple, right? So you can imagine you don't want a whole lot of oxidation going on inside your cells, in your brain, on your heart muscle or anywhere else, right? So CoQ10, potent antioxidant, and also involved in energy. And particularly important if you're on a statin, number one, statin medications, as you know, deplete myocardial concentrations of coenzyme Q10. Um, gets involved as well in cases of chronic fatigue, becomes important to keep your CoQ10 level up. In fact, chronic fatigue, many times they have goal levels of where we want the lab value at. So we, we treat a little more aggressively. Um, and then just heart problems in general. You know, if patients have had heart attacks and such, um, they oftentimes will put them on CoQ10. It uh, has been shown in cases of heart failure to actually improve uh, ejection fraction, myocardial output which is pretty striking. And I remember I, I learned that going through cardiology. They took You can take patients with the worst kind of heart failure who are on the transplant list, essentially. And while they're waiting and hanging out, we start giving them CoQ10 and they're basically their heart numbers get better and it buys them more time. And we you downgrade the severity of their heart failure just based on giving them CoQ10. That's kind of strange if you think about it, right? Like you didn't do anything structurally to the heart. You didn't correct a valve. You didn't, you know, change any of the electrophysiology. You gave them some oral substance that goes everywhere in their body. Part of it happens to go to their heart, but all of a sudden their heart actually starts beating more strongly to a degree that you can downgrade the severity of their congestive heart failure. That's pretty striking. And that's because it's allowing the heart to put out more energy just as it allows every cell in the body to do that. So dosing, what about dosing on coenzyme Q10? 
Yeah. So just a general person who wants to be healthy and well, let's say preventative dosing, 100 milligrams is a fine place to start. If you have a cardiac history, 200 milligrams. If you have, you know, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, that type thing where we really want to perk you up, we take it up to maybe four or five, six even. Yep. Awesome. All right. The last one. What do we got? Yeah. The last thing I would say to check your uh, levels with your doctor would be thyroid. Get your thyroid studies done. Um, you know, a lot of, we all, I think, know in our minds somewhere that thyroid is very important, but I don't know how often it gets checked and how often it gets checked well and how often those numbers get acted on appropriately. That's another level there, right? So I would say a good screen would be what we call a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, along with free T3 and free T4. That's sort of what I would do typically as a screening. Those aren't complicated tests and nor should they be very expensive. So that's a reasonable place to start with the primary care. It's important to know your thyroid status, especially if you're having some concerning symptoms like fatigue, weight loss, hair lo- or rather weight gain, hair loss, um, you know, constipation, things like that. But you guys want to talk more about that? You guys are big time experts on thyroid, I know. Well, first of all, since I'm speaking, I speak a lot to women, um, you know, they check your thyroid when you're pregnant. So that that's super important if you think about it. I mean, if you're pregnant and they're watching your thyroid, that that's important, right? And then the other marker that I always tell women is, you know, um, you can have it before menopause, but, you know, 40 at least, at least have it looked by then if you're not having symptoms. And I think you should look at it periodically too. I, I, I don't think it should be left because like mm-hmm. Dr. Rosie says, it could be the elephant in the room and it's so easy to fix. It's so easy to address if you have the labs that uh, Dr. Turner's talking about. And my goodness, I've seen people that thought they were you know losing their mind. They felt like they were depressed and had all kinds of symptoms that were just reversed by having their levels brought back to normal. And you know they didn't need an antidepressant. They really just needed their thyroid hormone balanced. And to me, I think that's totally reassuring because you know wouldn't you rather put something naturally back in your body than using some other foreign pharmaceutical? I think our body heals better and we respond better. And the other caveat is is that you see people with their natural thyroid actually having a better immune response to things. They just aren't as sick as often as well. Mm, Good point. One thing over the last three days and other lectures from Dr. Neil Rosier is how thyroid is responsible for um, getting rid of visceral fat. Oh, good one, yeah. And when we get rid of visceral fat, we decrease insulin resistance. And you could make a very good argument that one of the the worst epidemics going on in America right now is type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. Even if they have not been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes yet, there's a lot of, a lot of metabolically unhealthy people. And you can see that by just looking at them usually. Um, and they have insulin resistance. And so one of the labs that I'm going to ask you about mm-hmm. um, that maybe you missed um, and it's getting to be more popular is what about checking an insulin level? Yeah, I sure do, Sean. I, I do that on people. If we have some concern about weight gain or blood sugar dysregulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's not everyone who comes in the door, but you know, maybe it should be. I'm open to the idea. Yeah. Getting a fasting insulin is a great concept, especially I, I end up checking. It, I think especially when people are struggling to lose weight. 
This is this is when I check it. Yeah, because insulin has a role to move blood sugar out of circulation, but in doing that, it also promotes fat storage. So if your insulin levels are high, that's the same thing as constant signaling to your cells to store fat. You cannot lose weight in that context. It doesn't matter what you do. The insulin has to come down. It's a necessary precursor for anyone to lose weight. Therefore, reducing insulin resistance is a huge idea as you were all talking about. Right. So huge, huge point to bring home is we don't want our cortisol always high and we don't want our insulin always high because those things set us up. And one of the points we took home from the conference that Sean and I went to is that chronic diseases such as our uh, cardiovascular disease and our diabetes are actually something that's happening to us very early in our life before it's usually addressed. So, um, you know, Early detection of problems, I think, and as healthy as we can be in our 30s is was the bring home that we got because a lot of times people present to their primary uh-huh. uh, doctor or primary uh, practitioner um, once this disease is set in. And, and really from Sean and I's perspective and probably your perspective, I would rather these people not even show up with something like that. Let's, let's prevent it from happening at all. So great. Great advice about your labs today. I, I I love hearing about that. That's great. Sure. I I, I got a bonus one, maybe two bonus ones. Actually. <laughs> yeah, okay, go, please. Go. <laughs> if you got time. Um, yes. Sure. Okay, cool. Just to go back to your point about cardiovascular disease and how early it starts, right? So I was review, uh, reading a review article by Dr. Esselstyn, who you may have heard about, Conrad Esselstyn. And uh, he's been out at Cleveland Clinic. He's written books. He's been on several documentaries, you know, on Netflix about healthy eating and this and that diet. Anyway, he wrote a review article. It was really good. And it, it was striking. He talks about basically asked the question, how early does atherosclerosis get started? Okay. In the, in the West, you know, it's a process. And when does this process start? And the answer was your early 20s. Okay, your early 20s. And we know this because they've done cadaver studies on like guys who died in battle. Like this was this was known back, I think, in like Korean War, even Vietnam War. They were doing this and like, oh, by the way, let's check for atherosclerosis. And they were seeing it. And these guys were in their early 20s. Okay. So yeah, it rolls back earlier than anyone really wants to think. Um, and then you think now about how much obesity is going on, kids drinking sodas, big gulps, all this stuff, all that insulin resistance. There's no doubt that atherosclerosis is getting going early. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what lab tests you recommended for that? For the atherosclerosis? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, well, there's your standard cholesterol test, which is decent, right? And you want to pay most attention to your LDL. Um, then there's something called NMR lipoprotein profile, which is a little more in-depth. But just as a basic screening, a fasting cholesterol level is good, as well as a CRP. I would recommend a CRP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my bonus labs I was actually about to talk about. So CRP stands for C-reactive protein. It's a measure of inflammation in your body. Okay, so it doesn't matter if you have a dental infection, you know, prostatitis, um, you know, colitis, any type of thing that's causing chronic inflammation in your body, you'll end up with an elevated CRP. Now, the downside is you don't know exactly what the cause is, but the upside is you know that there's inflammation in your body and that's not good right? Including, we know that inflammation is damaging to the lining of the blood vessels, promotes atherosclerosis, etc. So if you come back with a nice low CRP, that's that's reassuring from a health and wellness viewpoint. And a high CRP indicates the need for further workup and investigation. Yeah. Absolutely. Steph, go ahead and stream that uh, comment we have. You've got a big fan. Oh, 
All right, Roddy. Well, hello. Good to see you. I love it. I love it. Yeah, right? Yeah. I got some fans. All right. Hey. You're really popular. So one thing I'd Thank like you. to add to that panel, and they usually take it along with when you're doing your cholesterol, I was looking at your lipid, your triglycerides, um, because if they're elevated, and even if you don't have an elevated glucose, I'm concerned if I see somebody with triglycerides that is high. So I we want to address that that issue really early on. High oh, yeah. triglycerides and low HDL are probably yeah. one of the best predictors of cardiovascular events, at least from a cholesterol yeah. lipid profile. Yes, absolutely. Let me let me mention one more bonus. So CRP Please. CRP was my sixth bonus. That was my number six. <laughs> my, my number seven bonus, which we'll love to talk about this, is actually testosterone levels. That's testosterone yeah. levels for both Very men good. and women of a certain yep. age. Yep, it's a bonus. It's easy to check. It's not expensive. It's not a send out lab, and very actionable. Right. So obviously for guys, here's the bad news. There's an aging process going on that affects our testicles. Okay. And, uh, and I, I was reading about this and it's like, so sometimes, you know, too much, right, Sean. And it kind of like, it's like the weight of the world hits, you, you know, I go, Oh my God. I found out that, you know, one, <laughs> one, uh, testosterone producing cell in our testicles goes offline every four seconds. Okay. It dies. Oh my gosh. Every yes. four seconds. That's the pathology, Sean. Yes. Every four seconds, one Leydig cell is going offline. Aging wow. process. I mean, yeah, not fair. So thankfully, you know, we've got quite an amount of these things, but that's that's the fact of it. And so at that at some point that catches up to you. So short answer is guys, if you're feeling if you're over age 30, let's just say, and starting to feel anything possibly symptomatic of low testosterone, like fatigue, lack of stamina, slow loss of muscle mass, you know, gaining a little belly, lack of sex drive, poor erectile function, depression, listlessness. Get your testosterone level checked. Something can be done about it. The quality of life change can be amazing. Uh, revolutionary, game changer. Those are fair words to describe it. Um, and as well as women of a certain age, especially I would say driven by the symptom of low sex drive, a little bit of testosterone can do wonders. Men and women both need it, just like men and women both need estrogen, obviously different ratios. But Sean, why don't you comment a little bit on that? That would be well, my, my last moment. Yeah, um, I, I would love to. So honestly... Outside of vitamin D, um, I think testosterone is probably the most important lab. Now, here's one of the things about vitamin D. I'm just backing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I think I think optimal levels of vitamin D are the most important thing. And I will tell you from experience of thousands of patients, um, as you kind of mentioned. Um, it, most patients in our area need five to ten thousand units a day. So if for whatever reason you didn't want to get checked, um, if you have if you take five to ten thousand units a day, you're going to be in probably the optimal range for most people. So, mm -hmm. um, but as far as testosterone, it's all over the board. So you do need to get testosterone checked. I think it's probably outside of vitamin D, probably the second most important lab to get checked. Um, here's I'm quoting. Dr. Rosier, Dr. Neil Rosier, yeah. what if we had a drug that worked to help maintain lean body mass, burn fat, including visceral fat, decrease insulin resistance, um, increase libido, decrease depression, um, decrease erectile dysfunction, um, increase bone mass? Um, the list goes on and on. What if we had a drug like that? Well, we do. It's called testosterone. 
Um, you know, and like you say, uh, men and women both benefit from it just in in different amounts. Um, so it, yeah, very, very important, especially for any man over, you know, 35 or 40 years old. And I would say, just like you were saying, even if you don't have symptoms yet and you're in your thirties, it's a good idea to get it checked in your thirties. And here's the reason why. Let's say, and I've seen this before, let's say you're in your thirties and you have, you have never, ever supplemented with exogenous testosterone before you get your level checked and it's 1200. I've seen this happen. Um, and normal testosterone levels are 250 to 800, depending on the lab. So when you're in your 30s and you're having no symptoms, your level's 1,200, then all of a sudden you're 45 years old and you're having symptoms, you're feeling a little bit sluggish, you're not as competitive anymore, you maybe have some erectile dysfunction, um, weight gain around the middle, high cholesterol, and you go in to get your testosterone checked. It's like, well, doctor tells you, of course, you wouldn't tell him this, Dr. Turner. Mm-hmm. Well, your level's 450. I-, I guess you're normal. It's like, well, wait a minute. When I was 30 and I didn't have any symptoms, my level was 1,200, mm-hmm. um, and I felt optimal. So, you know, I want to be optimal again. So mm-hmm. Comment on that, Dr. Turner. Great point. I mean, nothing really more to be out of that. It's a great point. This is where finesse and clinical judgment in a human comes in, right? You can't just treat a number. You have to talk to the patient, figure out what they're telling you, and put that together. And, I mean, I see this all the time. The most typical I would see is somebody comes in maybe with a level like three or four hundreds. The primary care told them it's fine. It's not high enough or low enough to do anything about. And I go, well, tell me how you're feeling. And they mentioned a few symptoms. And I go, I guarantee you, if we took this thing to 800 or 1,000 or 1,200, all those symptoms will disappear. You'll feel like a new man. They go, seriously? I go, yeah, it's not even complicated. I guarantee it. They come back in a month. They're feeling like a champ, you know. They're not drinking Red Bulls trying to stay awake. They're back in the gym. You know, they're out. They're getting chores done. The the, hus- the, the honey to-do list is happening. You know, the wife's just thrilled. They got, you know, fresh enthusiasm in the bedroom. All kinds of things turn around because we decided that that 400 like, actually isn't a great number, you know, for them. Right. And, and yeah. this is, I, I tell you, especially after going to a Dr. Rosier conference, it's just, you know, reiterated over and over again. So Janet's on the same page. It's just like... You know, we are so used to in medicine to just waiting until people get sick. Mm-hmm. And so that same testosterone patient that, you know, has a level of 300, um, he is just setting himself up for a heart attack if he does not replace his testosterone. Yes. Now, that's a whole topic for another discussion because, you know, we know testosterone does not cause heart attacks, but um, we have to defend ourselves about that sometimes. But mm-hmm. that guy is setting himself up for many different disease states, including sleep apnea, including... Um, cardiovascular disease, including dementia. So let's not wait until those problems happen. Let's be proactive and stop this from happening. And that's what I love about you, Dr. Turner, is that you are good about taking care of patients and keeping them healthy. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, that's, that's what I love to do. My job is to get you as healthy as possible, feeling as good as you possibly can, you know? And, and the great thing about it is you're you're a shining example of it. I mean, you are an incredible health yourself, and I respect that. I think that as healthcare um, professionals, we need to be good role models for our patients. It's really hard for us to, you know, preach to our patients about health and wellness if we're not healthy ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I I have fallen in love essentially with how I feel being in good health. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's I'm I'm an overachiever. I'm a perfectionist. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I, I asked myself the question, you know, how good would it feel to be as healthy as I could possibly be? 
How good would that feel? Like how alert would I feel? How strong, how mentally sharp, how much energy would I have to be as healthy as I could possibly be? I don't need to be as healthy as somebody else. That's different genetics, lifestyle. I'm not comparing. I don't need to be my 27-year-old self, right? I'm 47. I can't be that person. But just today, Dr. Turner, age 47, how healthy could I possibly be? What would that feel like? And am I doing what's necessary to get me there, right? Am I living in that body and mind? And I want that every day. And so I do the work and I love how I feel. I feel great. I'm, I'm pretty close to that. You know, I'm always pushing. I'm always learning new things, but um, I like the way I feel. And I try to share that enthusiasm with others. Essentially, It's not like I have to, it's I get to, right? Right, right. exactly. Like today, when we're done, I can't wait today. When this workday is done, the first thing I'm doing is going to the pool downstairs. I'm going to swim a mile and a half. And I'm not thinking I have to, I'm thinking I get to, right? It's like, and I took, you know, like 12 different supplements. First thing when I got this morning with my protein, I didn't have to, I get to, because I know that each supplement is going to go in my body, do something scientifically defined healthy for me. I'm excited about it. When I do this lap swim, I know my cardio is going to go up, my flexibility, you know, all this stuff. So it's a, it's a fun realm to live in. Well, you must be doing something right because you shared with me last week, you you know, uh, you're 47 years old and you just qualified to be a, to, to, to pass the Navy SEAL fitness test, which is just super cool. (laughs) (laughs) So they're push-up standards, pull-up standards, sit-ups, and mile and a half run. Mile and a half run. And then a 12,000 yard swim. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's awesome. I love it. So Dr. Turner, what's the best way to get a hold of you if people have questions? My website, my website, michaelturnermd.com. So it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-T-U-R-N-E-R-M-D.com. That's the best way. It's got my phone on there and email contacts and all that. I have a lovely staff, an amazing staff, if I may say so. Uh, very friendly, very responsive. So we look forward to reaching out to people. I love it. Well, as always, thank you for your great information. I appreciate it. Sure. I enjoyed it, Sean. We'll All be right. back. Thanks so much, Dr. Turner. Okay. All right. Tune in to Health Solutions Thursday, our mid our midweek podcast, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. You don't want to miss out. Um, I don't even know the topic, but um, you stay tuned because I will be sharing the topic. So, Tune in with Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much for watching and listening today.